0: Everyone, welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor Alison Grunendike. Good morning everybody. Such a holy moment there. I'd- hate to interrupt it. Um, My name is Allison. I'm one of the lead pastors here. It is really good to be with you to just continue celebrating in our Advent season together. And uh, we are in a series on revelation, which Amos said last week is maybe a strange undertaking for Christmas, but here we are. (laughs) Um, I really think that the Word of God is already speaking. I don't know if you felt that as uh, Donna and Diane read to us. It's just powerful, and I think that's gonna continue this morning. So we're just gonna jump right in to Re- uh, Revelation 19. Uh, grab your Bibles. If you don't have one with you today, there are some in right up here on this stool, and usually there are some in the back as well, but hopefully you can grab one. Uh, page numbers are gonna be on the screen, so you can follow along with us at home as well if you're watching on the stream. So we are picking up in Revelation 19, verse one to nine this morning. And it says this, after this I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, praise the Lord, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just, He has punished the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. He has avenged the murder of his servants. And again their voices rang out, Praise the Lord! The smoke from the city ascends forever and ever. Then the 24 elders and the four living beings fell down and worshipped God who was sitting on the throne. They cried out, Amen, praise the Lord. And from the throne came a voice that said, Praise our God, all his servants, all who fear him, from the least to the greatest. Then I heard again what sounded like a shout of a vast crowd or a roar of a mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. It's a super beautiful text, and there's a lot here, but to start, we just really need to put this rejoicing into context. So it sounds harsh, but here we have it. The fall of Rome which is the place of idolatry, is the cause of this initial rejoicing by all the people. And you know, I hope you heard um, Amos' talk last week. If you didn't catch it, please go back and listen to it. But essentially, one of the themes that he's talking about is that God alone has the authority to define for us what is good and what is evil. And From the start in Genesis and then over the millennia, we have tried to take matters into our own hands and define what it is for ourselves. And what you see is that has led to destruction. And that's what we covered last week, right? So idolatry and the crushing of idolatry really is what's being celebrated here. And it's any time we try to define what is good for us. And then we try to fit God into that space. That is what is being put to death and celebrated in these passages. And of course the city of Babylon represents like, this is what society looks like without God. This is what it looks like to do life our own way apart from him. It's a place of violence, it's a place of corruption, it's a place of pain and oppression. And so this is the vision that we pick up in Revelation 19. Praise is pouring out, it's pouring forth because God has come to free people, to free us of the power of evil and to bring the new thing, which is his kingdom. And it's interesting here, the structure of the praise, I don't know if you caught that or heard that, Is really, really intentional. We come out of the last chapters in Revelation with a threefold lament. That's the structure. There's three different laments leading up to this moment. And now here we get a threefold praise. We get threefold hallelujahs. And the first hallelujah, if you heard it in that text, just declares God's justice. That, like I said, death and deception and suffering, these are being brought to an end. And then it moves on in the second hallelujah is that justice is eternal. That what God ended. And his giving of victory over evil is actually going to be enduring. And that's that reference to the smoke going up forever and ever, the smoke of the city burning. He's saying it's, gonna, it's burning forever because my justice goes on forever. And then finally, the last hallelujah is the one that we're gonna camp out on the rest of the, the morning is a hallelujah for the redemption of God's people. It's that we are praising God because we are forever rescued and forever secure. And that security cannot be taken from us. And remember, Revelation is a prophetic book, but it's, it's things that happened, it's things that are happening currently, and it is what will happen in the future. So it's all of the tenses kind of intermingling in this beautiful picture of God's rescue. And uh, did you catch that? The third and final hallelujah is the loudest, and I kind of love that. Um, John is describing, he's not necessarily describing like loud in terms of the numbers of people got louder, but he is describing like the roar of the ocean, um, the crash of loud thunder. He really gives the, the volume to that last hallelujah. And the reason for that intensity of praise is this announcement and invitation to the wedding feast. And you see the wedding banquet is one of these central metaphors for the kingdom of God. And we get three figures that happen in this wedding banquet metaphor. There's the prostitute, which represents you know, globally and historically all the problems of the world. It's a big bucket to put everything that has gone wrong is represented in this person of the prostitute. And then you have the lamb. The lamb is the ultimate and final solution to the problem. This is such, such sweet and good news because this is what people are waiting for. Like, what is the the answer? We need an answer, God. I don't know if you felt that in the last couple of years, but like... Do you have an answer to all the things that have gone terribly wrong? And here we see yes, and the answer is a lamb. And then we have the bride, and that's us, right? That is God's people, and it is symbolizing not just who we are right now, but who we are going to become in our fullness when we are with Jesus, and his kingdom is fully enacted and fully here. So this is the ultimate metaphor. The entire cosmos is headed this way, right? When the war that we all feel between life and death is finally over, this passage is telling us God is going to have his way. And what he wants is he wants his people all to himself. He wants us without the competition of the distractions and the corruption and the temptations to go a different path. And, you know, it really struck me that, that God is described here as a lamb. And, I mean, that's, you see this all over the Bible, but especially when you're talking about a wedding, <laughs> you might think, why doesn't he say groom, right? Groom or husband or king even. But that's not the word that's here. It's lamb. And I think that this is to draw our attention to the whole reason that this magnificent party is even possible. It's because his bride has been purchased through the blood of the lamb. And that's what we hear um, previous chapters back in Revelation five. So that's where that language is carrying over here. And so you've got this series of hallelujahs, And it begins with this divine announcement that the prostitute is being condemned and it concludes with a beatitude. I love this. Did did you catch that? In Matthew, Jesus' famous sermon on the mount, he's going through the beatitudes and here in Revelation at the very end of the story, we get an ultimate beatitude and it is blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. This whole book is to stand in contrast and help us see all the points of contrast. And so this blessing stands in contrast to what the prostitute, if you remember, holds out at the beginning of the vision. She holds out this golden cup And the Bible says that it was filled with abominable things. And so when we partake in that cup, it leads to sin and death and destruction. But now we have the cup that's offered by God, which is his own shed blood. And that leads to life and union with him. So just like in marriage, what is mine is now his my ugliness, my sin, my junk, my mess, and what he is, what he has, I also get. And that's his righteousness. And so, you know, when we think about weddings, the bride is usually the focal point of the moment, right? Everyone is focused on her and uh, how beautifully she is dressed and how stunning she looks, and again, we get another contrast in this text. Everything that is said about us as God's bride stands in contrast to the prostitute. Instead of the flashy jewels and the purple and the scarlet garments that the prostitute is wearing, the bride of the lamb is dressed how? In white. God's own redeemed people are robed with fine linen, it says, fine linen that is bright and clean and pure and white. And Jesus actually tells this parable uh, to foreshadow this as well a couple different times in the Gospels, in both Luke and in Matthew. And so I want us to jump over to Matthew quick just to fill in this picture. So again, if you have your Bibles, page number should be up on the screen here, but go over to Matthew chapter 22. Give you a minute to turn there. Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14, says Jesus also told them other parables. He said... The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited. Check this out, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened calf and cattle have been killed, and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests that he had invited ignored them and went on their own way. One of them to his farm and another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. Pause here a minute. It's not a very happy moment in the story. But in the account in Luke, actually, these excuses that are listed here that I have to go back to my farm or go back to my business, those are expanded on in Luke even. And one person says, I need to go inspect this plot of land that I bought. And the other person says, I need to go test out the five set of oxen that I bought. And so, that maybe sounds really strange to us, but it doesn't just represent like, you've got kind of flimsy priorities, right? Um, maybe you're choosing work over pleasure and, and coming to the party you'd rather work, or you know maybe there's just a better invitation that came along and I'm not going to this party, I got something better cooking, right? That's actually not what these people are saying. Because think about it especially if you're buying land, or for us it might be we're buying a home. This excuse would have sounded like, hey king, uh, I'm not coming because I already bought a house, but I've actually never seen it before. I've never stepped foot inside. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what kind of work has to be done to it for it to be up to my standards and livable. So I'm gonna go see it. Same thing with the oxen. In that culture, you definitely don't buy cattle before you test them out, because they have to like pair together, and the only value of having your oxen work is if they can like carry a load together so they can pull the same weight. So you would never buy them without testing them out. So these are meant to be direct insults to the host, to the king. scriptures tell us this is the religious leaders, the religious authorities, essentially trying to shut down the party. And the best part is the king just goes on without them, right? It's, it's stunning. He, he does get angry. There is wrath involved, right? If we move on to verse 7, it says, The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, "'The wedding feast is ready, "'and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. "'Now go out to the street corners "'and invite everyone you see.'" So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think we forget that some of these parts of the story are in the story, right? It's, it's hard to read this. Everyone was invited. God's invitation goes out to everyone, but this is telling us proper wedding attire is still expected. So what's going on here? You know, Jesus asked this question, where's your wedding clothes? And it's a rhetorical question, right? He's not actually wondering. He's meaning to point out that it's God that clothes unworthy people. He says, I've provided the clothes, but they just simply weren't put on. So it seems here that the judgment that we feel when we're reading these texts, there, there is some of it is self-imposed, right? Those who refuse the invitation are rejecting fellowship with Jesus. They're choosing not to taste the banquet. And as harsh as that sounds, the beautiful part of this is that if you are a child of God, then you have been given pure white clean clothes because you have been cleansed and washed with the blood of the Lamb. And so it's, it's those who come to the banquet in the act of coming and showing up with the the appropriate clothing on. That is our way of saying we are forgiven we accept the forgiveness we know we don't have it all together it's just it's the acknowledgement that, like i need a whole new outfit right i mean i i don't know what part of your outfit gets the dirtiest for me it's usually my socks now with a toddler it could be my shirt my pants and smeared with whatever food she has just eaten and she comes to share it with me that way right so i can see my messiness a lot these days but you know, if your socks are dirty, you toss them in, in the washer, because you're like, yeah, it looks bad, I gotta clean it. But this picture here is saying, whether you look soiled or not, whether you can actually see your own filth, you do need a whole new outfit. And they come to us as a gift. The garments are given. And at the same time, they're there, it says in here, so that everyone can see the righteousness of God's people. It's not to say that our good deeds are achievements to make us look worthy or um, that we've earned it somehow. They represent this gift of grace. And it's on display, like I just said, not because we earned it, but because we know we have. So I just, I love that God throughout the whole Bible, he's always using different analogies of how he wants to relate to us as his people, right? We get, he's a shepherd to his sheep. He's a king and we're the servants. He's the master and we're his friends. But in this culminating image in Revelation, the picture is not any of those things. It is God relates to us as a husband relates to his wife. It's comprehensive. It's permanent. It's intimate. This is the kind of relationship God wants with you, and it's what you were created for. He doesn't just want obedience. He wants love. And I think this is where the preparation comes in. You hear that verse in Revelation 19.7 that says his bride has prepared herself. She's been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. And you know, all brides, even in our culture today still, weddings are like one of the main things we prepare for. And you know, all the pomp and circumstance and glitz and glamor that the world says you need to have a wedding um, is in one way, kind of not getting at the point of the thing, but in another way, does show that we, we have this sense of there's value in preparing for that moment. We don't just show up willy-nilly without a plan. There's value in the preparation. But for the people of God, it's the preparation is not worrying about the outside of what you look like. God says, I got that covered. You've been, you've been given the clothes. Now the task is to clothe yourself with the character of Jesus to grow, to look and be more like him. And we just, we practice giving him our whole hearts. I think the scripture today reminds us that like, there are other things that have captured our imagination, right? There are other things that we love more supremely than God. That's just true. You might know right now, as I say it, what that thing or what that person is, or you might need to sit with that a moment you know, today in worship, but there are things that have your heart. It is very possible to give God your name and give God your money and for him to not have your heart. And I think that's what these texts are showing us. And so we want to be people who are ready for the wedding. We want to give our whole lives to be united with Jesus. And isn't that what the picture of a wedding is? It's saying like, you and me, We're doing this together, legally, financially, emotionally, physically, we are together. And that is what it's supposed to be like with God. And so to sum it up, N.T. Wright, in his book, uh, Revelation for Everyone, uh, he says this. I think this is a great um, summary here. There is a great reversal, which now takes place in the book of Revelation. The prostitute has been judged. The bride steps forward. The glossy, glitzy world of Babylon has been overthrown. God's people emerge with shining, pure linen to wear as God's own gift. The marriage of the lamb and his bride is to be the focal point of the marriage of heaven and earth themselves. And Babylon, the symbolic equivalent of the ancient Babel, which thought to climb up to heaven by its own energy, is shown up as a futile parody of the real thing. A human attempt to get by sheer greed what God proposed to give by sheer grace. just such a fitting picture for us today this image of a wedding because the promises made at a wedding are promises of faithfulness through thick and thin it's just such a proper reflection of god's promises that he makes to the world and especially to his people marriage is the ultimate covenant and god is the ultimate bridegroom And the wedding feast of the Lamb is the second advent. It's the second advent of Jesus that we just so desperately look forward to. And that is what we are celebrating this Christmas season. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come and just help us to understand this morning... just the depth and the significance of the invitation that is put out before us it is so unlike any other God that you would want such closeness with us that it would be in that picture of a wedding that it is best expressed so I pray now God as we worship Would you come, Holy Spirit? We need you. We want to see your face. We want to know what you're doing. We want to be close to you. So come now and meet with us. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.